Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today we're going to bring you another special interview, which is an exclusive interview with Formula E Chairman Alejandro Agag. Speaking exclusively to Autosport as part of our Thinking Forward series with motorsport leaders, Agag struck an optimistic note about the scale of opportunity facing the industry. This is despite the severe challenges caused by the temporary cancellation of all events due to the coronavirus outbreak. This was one of the topics that Gag discussed with Motorsport Network President James Allen, but they also talked about why Formula E might need to reflect on the timing of the upcoming Gen 3 car, as well as the biggest lessons we can learn from the pandemic crisis and how some racing series might survive through consolidation. Alejandro, thank you so much for taking the time and, and good to see you. You're fit and well, obviously. Um, great to see you. How are you and, and how are you coping with the lockdown, you know, remote working and, and above all, I guess, no traveling in your case? Yes, hi James. Well, it's great to see you um, uh, through the screen this time. Uh, yeah, it's really strange for me uh, not traveling, especially that's what I maybe I don't I don't know if I miss it or not, but that's what really is a big change in my life. Um, but yeah, I'm in London. I'm in my house in London with the kids, with my family, with my wife, and uh, we're spending obviously uh, a lot of time together. And um, yeah, like everyone else, I mean, I feel very lucky. I have a I have a house and I have food in the table and, uh, you know, we're just uh, waiting. So, yeah, here we are. We saw some moves last week from the FIA and from Formula E to postpone the next evolution of the Gen 2 uh, car to cut the development costs, obviously. What other measures has the championship itself taken to cut costs during this uh, shutdown period? Well, um, you know, first we need to know that this is not the end of the world. Uh, There is going to be a tomorrow. So we have to think that the tomorrow is going to be different and we have to prepare for that. 
And to prepare for that, uh, we need to act. And I think we in Formula E, of course, other people do, we acted very fast. We acted very fast in a flexible way. We took measures very early. We canceled races very early. And, um, and we are taking measures to protect the teams, to protect the ecosystem. Because here you have basically two angles. You have, of course, the promoter, Formula e Holdings. And Formula e Holdings, I think, and Formula E as a championship, it's in very good shape. We have a business model that is very resistant to these kind of circumstances. We don't rely too much on uh, ticketing revenue, for example, which, you know, it's going to be a question mark in the next months and years. Um, but then you have the teams, the ecosystem, the wider ecosystem, and you need to protect the teams. And to protect the teams, we took measures to cut costs now. Because, you know, it's fine to take measures for one year, two years, three years, but also teams need to cut costs right now because it's when they are having the main, the main problem. For that, we decided to allow only one homologation for season seven and eight. So a team can choose to use the car they are using on season six, exactly the same car on season seven, and then they will make a saving right now. But also if they had made already part of the spending, part of the cost already has been uh, spent on the car of season seven, they can use that one, and then they will have to use that one on season eight. So they save the money then. So we've given them basically flexibility. Of course, there may be other uh, measures to cut costs in the future, but I think with these measures, we acted really, really quick. I have to also thank FIA, because the FIA really uh, acted very fast, and Jean Todd, I can see Jean Todd really at the, at the top of his game lately, uh, not only with Formula E, but with everything, what he's saying, and really reacting to this crisis of the, of the coronavirus. And we really had the help of the FIA to take these measures very, very quick. So, so that worked really well, I think. Will the um, introduction of the Gen 3 car also need to be delayed then? So Generation 3 car, it's something that needs a bit more uh, reflection. Uh, we need to think really about what we want to do with that. One option is to delay it, obviously. Uh, another option is to leave it like it is in the plan now. Uh, a third option would be a hybrid. Let's see how we can work to reduce the cost of uh, the Generation 3 and still introducing on, on season nine. So there are, there are a lot more elements and because the savings in cost would not kick in before July, um, we don't need to make the decision right now. We can take uh, a couple more months to think about it, to discuss with everyone involved and then to make a decision. The priority is going to be cost control and cost reduction for the future. But you know, just thinking out loud, imagine you make a, a generation three car that is running at 300 kilometers per hour, and uh, you know it's it's with a range of one hour. We may think to race maybe in circuits. I mean, what do I know? Some of the races, and that reduces the cost in a different direction. I'm not saying we're going to do that, but I'm saying there are different variables in this discussion that we need to consider. So I think we will make a decision uh, probably in June or July about the delay of generation. How um, optimistic do you feel about how motorsport and Formula E emerges from this unprecedented situation? Taking a kind of an overview. Well, of course, uh, we are facing something that is a huge problem. That it's, uh, you know, it's something that it would have been, of course, better, a million times better if it wouldn't have happened. But now it is here. So we have to work with what we have. I think Formula E is going to emerge well, I mean, Formula E right now is at the level of cost that uh, it's uh, you know manageable. 
the business model of the promoter is manageable. I mean, if Formula E would have received this uh, problem, we, we would have seen this problem during our first season, uh, probably would have killed us. But we are in a position now in which I think we are perfectly ready to, to go through this. And, uh, you know, in this sense, I, I can send a message to the whole Formula E ecosystem, everybody that works in Formula E, uh, from our staff to uh, the team staff, engineers, mechanics, TV crews, um, you know, catering teams, uh, hospitality teams, uh, uh, everyone that, you know, Formula E is going to be uh, uh, in, in, in good shape. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly the same. We're going to have to do things. We're going to have to cut costs. We're going to have to be clever and smart. I think in general for motorsport, this could be also an opportunity. And, and I think specifically probably for Formula One, this could be a massive opportunity because, um, you know, it's the opportunity to really restructure the whole model. I mean, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to have all the teams sharing uh, revenue exactly on the same with the same amount, why not? Uh, much lower. I'm, I hear I'm reading uh, cost caps of 125, something like this. Why not a cost cap of 75 and make it really uh, profitable for everybody? Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, of course, the, the, it may be a, a good thing that the Concord Agreement has not been signed yet because the Concord Agreement had all those, um, how would I call them, original scenes that that are a kind of a um, burden for Formula One, no? Since, you know, some teams making so much, some other teams making so little, the imbalance is huge in the Concord Agreement. Maybe this gives an opportunity to completely shake down the whole system. I think, uh, you know, I'm not in Formula One and I'm not running Formula One and Formula One is run by very capable uh, people and, and I'm sure they're, they're thinking about all these things. But, uh, but you know, I would use this as a, as a kind of major shakedown of, of major correction of the, the, the of especially the, the business principles of Formula One. No? So it could be a very, very interesting opportunity uh, for, for, for that. I think the rest of motorsport depends. Some will do well, some will do less well. Um, you know, spectator sports, you know, is, is going to suffer. So we're, I think we're going to see... Um, that uh, there are going to be restrictions on uh, mass events. Uh, I don't know how long those will last, but uh, if, uh, for, for those motorsports that are very based on ticketing revenue, I think that can be a challenge. Interesting. Do you feel that trends that were kind of coming down the track already, whether we talk about sustainability, we talk about accessibility, that kind of thing, do you think those trends are actually going to come forward much more quickly now as a result of this crisis? Absolutely. I think this crisis is going to accelerate the trends. I mean, I think this crisis needs to make us... There's one big lesson for, for, one big lesson for me on this crisis. Uh, this crisis is showing the absolute lack of long-term planning of our societies. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not blaming politicians here. Politicians, they all act the same way. They have to be re-elected every four years. That's probably part of the mistake and, uh, or part of the problem. We don't plan long term, and we, you know, I, I was reading a, a very interesting article about the plague, the bubonic plague in, in 541, and they were in the same situation we are today, and that's 1,500 years ago or more. They were staying in their homes, the economy collapsed, they had to wait in their homes for the lockdown, then they were coming slowly out, 
exactly the same, but you know, 15 centuries back. We haven't planned anything forward. We haven't learned any lessons. And you know, there are many threats to, to humankind. Obviously, uh, biological threats or uh, pandemics like we are seeing are one, but you know, climate change is the biggest and obvious one that is coming. Uh, this gives a lot more reason to plan ahead uh, against climate change, which is going to provoke something even worse than what we are living today uh, if we don't plan ahead. Uh, you have other problems. You have uh, uncontrolled uh, artificial intelligence, for example. Uh, you have uncontrolled nanotechnology uh, expansion, for example. You have other things that we have to plan for the long term. So the big lesson here is long-term planning. And I think this makes the case for electric vehicles more and more relevant. Um, so clearly, you know, we're going around the cities. The only good thing, I mean, there are two good news in this bad period. The first good news is that Bernie uh, Eggleston is having a baby. <laughs> the only good news we've had in, a, in many weeks are those. And the second good news is that the air in the cities is clean. Are we going to go back to where we were before? Uh, do you remember the images in India of the cities in India where you cannot see anything and now they're you know, is the, I, I was hearing the other day, it's the first time they can see the, the Himalayas from India for 20 or 30 years or something like that. Do we really want to go back to the previous situation? I don't think so. I think the case for electric vehicles now is stronger than ever. So I think, yes, the trends are going to, I think the, the, there are some positive trends that are going to accelerate with this crisis. I guess one consideration on that, of course, that, however, is the is the ability to roll out the the infrastructure, for example, for for recharging, electric recharging, rapid recharging, because clearly those, in some cases, were going to be government initiatives. Some some of them are going to be public private, but with the governments in so many countries having to put so much money into the economic stimulus package around this crisis, are you concerned that that might delay a little bit the rollout of some of that infrastructure? Well, to be completely honest. They were not investing that much to, to start with. They, 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 the starting point is quite low. Um, of course, there are going to be difficulties, but I think there, is go there, is, there has to be a rearrangement of priorities. And uh, electrification and basically planning for climate change in general needs to go forward many positions in the order of priorities. So I think there is a risk of uh, you know, investment being sent other other places but there is a priority of investment being directed to planning against climate change. And I think the lesson we learn is gonna be stronger than the temptation to go in the wrong direction. So I hope that governments really take it seriously. And you know, electrification is only one of the areas in which they need to invest to prepare for climate change and to try to prevent climate change before it happens. Coming back to trends that were going to happen anyway and again looking at a sort of the broader motorsport world i had the feeling that we were headed towards consolidation you know you'd have various different championships formula one formula e the prototype championships things like le mans obviously which have that very strong foundation strong tradition things like customer racing that, that are very very well but a lot of other sort of series that perhaps wouldn't survive long term, that there would be a lot of consolidation in the industry. Do you feel, do you agree with me? And do you feel that that will be accelerated by the process? I definitely agree with you. And I think consolidation would be a good thing uh, in motorsport. And now it's going to be maybe a uh, mandatory thing because some series are not going to survive on their own. Um, you know, already there were some series struggling, already there were maybe uh, too many series. 
Um, but uh, motorsport is here to stay. So motorsport is not going anyway, anywhere. Um, but maybe motorsport doesn't need 35 different series around the world to, to be there. Uh, just with five, six, seven big series, a strong series, it's enough to cover the needs of the fans. Because, you know, motorsport at the end, it's a service to the fans. Uh, and it's also a laboratory for technology. But that can be done um, with, a, with a smaller number of series, probably. So, yes, I think consolidation will probably now happen uh, by, by, you know, by necessity. Yeah, last week on, the, on this um, Thinking Forward strand, we spoke with FIA President Jean Todd, and you, you already referenced his, um, his leadership on this side, but he was talking about a new deal, something that recognizes that the world has changed and, the, and that motorsport needs to be smart about how it goes forward from here. I don't know if you saw much of his comments, and I wonder what your thoughts were on them. Well, I saw, I saw his interview, of course, um, and I agree with him. I think we need a new deal, and um, I think... Uh, well, I was mentioning before the big opportunity uh, for Formula One to really reorganizing the whole thing. I think that's the key for the New Deal. Uh, the rest we will follow, uh, and we're smaller. But the, 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 you know, the pinnacle of motorsport, uh, if you like, uh, it's Formula One. And that's where the big imbalances exist. Uh, I don't think it's normal that teams that compete in the same race receive you know, completely different amounts of money. The, the, the competition is... is it's false. It's not a real competition. You, know, um, you may argue the same in football, uh, but if you look at the difference of money that uh, the winner of the Premier League gets compared to the last one, uh, it's nowhere near the difference of money that you know, the top teams in Formula 1 receive uh, compared to the, to the uh, ones at the bottom. So that's the New Deal. And that it's a big opportunity. Uh, and if uh, people don't realize the world is going to be different after um, coronavirus, uh, I think they make a big mistake. So I think the opportunity to react is very uh, is there uh, to be to be to be taken, and uh, people need to take it. I mean, you know, we're we're not part of it. We will do our little new deal at the Formula E level, and uh, definitely that will happen. And the luck we have in the Formula E ecosystem is that um, everyone is on board. So we the teams are really you know playing with us and with the FIA and we, we you know, those meetings we have all together are, are very, very uh, good and, and very aligned and everyone, of course, with their own little differences, but everyone is, is going in the same direction. So we will do our own little deal following John Todd's uh, recommendation in, in Formula E. And just coming back to, to Formula E and uh, the completion of the season, how do you hope to end the 2019-20 season and, and is it a priority in that to reinstate races like Jakarta and Seoul because obviously they uh, of the of the funding model there um for us uh, it would be great if we can finish the season with more races that's the objective uh will we be able to we don't know right now it seems that probably or maybe yes uh, because of the, you, if you look at what happened in China, if that extrapolates to the countries in Europe and the same situation with the coronavirus goes, uh, we may be able to get going in July, in August, in September. So we have those months to organize races. We will organize then a few races. If we're going to go to Jakarta and Seoul, that's more complicated. Uh, we want to, and we may try to. Uh, particularly Seoul would be really, you know, very important because the, the number of cases there 
has dropped a lot. But the question is, is everybody going to be allowed to fly there and come back and no problem with quarantines and so on and so forth? So it will depend very much on the, on the situation at the moment with permissions and, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I think another five or six races in Europe or, uh, or in one of those places that you, that you mentioned is our objective. And, uh, and I think it's achievable at this point. So we will try to do that. And of course, you've got the luxury that you've got sort of a lot of flexibility in your format. So you could have a double or even a triple header. You only have to make one trip uh, and you can have multiple races, which is more difficult for, for Formula Ones. Yes. I mean, you know, the, the, I think the big advantage of our model is that uh, we don't depend on ticketing revenue. So we can have uh, races without public. Um, of course, if you are a promoter and you have a big fee to pay uh, to the rights holder, uh, and you base your fee on the tickets you're going to sell, uh, the model of racing with your grandstands empty doesn't work. So we, we, luckily for us, we don't really have that problem. So, so we, we're, we're kind of flexible. We can go to places with no public, and, and maybe that's what we will do. You know, we, will, uh, we, will, we will do that. So, yeah, I think we're in, a, we're in an okay position. And for the, for the cities, obviously, that, that can't host races this year, what, what happens? Will their contracts to host races be extended by a year, or what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, all the cities, obviously, you know, we have a very close relation with them. And uh, we've been always in contact with the cities, and everything is basically postponed by a year. So we, we you know, Paris, of course, we would have loved to race there. Uh, who knows? Maybe we could race in Paris in August. Um, who knows? Uh, or, uh, you know, Rome, really, real pity not to race in Rome, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, New York and London, both locations are now field hospitals. You know, because obviously we race in these kind of conference centers or places with a lot of space within the city, but those places are also ideal to transform them in field hospitals in a moment like, uh, like this one. Well, Alejandro, once again, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us and, uh, and for, for striking such a positive note. I think there's a lot of negativity uh, around the landscape, but it's great to hear that you're feeling uh, upbeat about the future for the sport. Like I say, there will be a tomorrow and we have to be ready for it. Well, thanks to Alejandro Agag for his time and thanks to James for conducting that interview. What did you make of Agag's comments? Do let us know on Autosport's various social media channels using the handle at Autosport. Thanks very much for listening and thanks again to our producer Martin Lee for editing this episode. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.